You are listening to the Kosher Wine Explorer podcast presented by kosherwine.com. This is your host, Eric Goldman, head of marketing at kosherwine.com. And I'm Greg Aubrey, the co-host. Welcome to our first interview today. Yeah, today we have a really special guest, Ido Levinson, the chief winemaker of Barkon and Seagal Winery. He just received the highly exclusive title of Master of Wine, which is the most prestigious certification in the entire world of wine. There are only about 400 masters of wine in the world, and now with Ido, only two in Israel. We've been wanting to create this podcast for quite some time now. As soon as I heard that Ido had officially become a master of wine, I knew that we had to get him on the podcast for the first episode. Ido, thanks for joining us. I want to start from the very beginning. Uh, How did you first get involved with wine as a professional? Well, my um, first uh, experience with wines was when I... uh, was a soldier actually, and um, I got back home on the over weekends for vacations, and I found myself. Uh, I'm 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 a foodie. I really like food and um, fine food, and so I was uh, preparing dinners and eating some some proper meat and so on. And uh, I found that something was missing, and that thing that was missing is uh, apparently. It was the wine, and then wine uh, took uh, a greater part of my uh, life. And just uh, after my release uh, from the army, I went to uh, Italy and uh, started uh, studying enology, uh, winemaking. Very impressive. And so, so how many years in Italy did you come back to Israel to start really getting into the whole winemaking aspect uh, in Israel? So I spent some seven years uh, abroad. Uh, studying, uh, getting my uh, my winemaking degree in Italy, and working in uh, in Italy and France and Australia. And after seven years, that was in 2007, I got back to Israel. I'm here uh, ever since. I'm based here ever since. Okay. And so now that you're a master of wine, which is a pretty great accomplishment, Mazalto, first of all, can you tell us a bit more what it, what it took to become what involved what was involved in becoming a master of wine? To become a master of wine, which, uh, as, as you said, is uh, the 400, 409, to be exact, 409 masters of wines today. But Lisa, Lisa so is the number of the um, of winemakers. There are less than a, than a hundred winemakers uh, that are masters of wines. Of wine, um, to become one, uh, one has to pass a series of uh, of exams. Uh, composed of two uh, categories. One category is the theory exam, in which we write essays on winemaking, viticulture, business of wine, contemporary issues, health, and so on, meaning the entire theory behind the world of wine. And this is one part of the, uh, of the, the set of exams that one has to pass. And the other part, which is uh, considered to be more difficult, is the, the, the practical exam in which um, we are tasting blinds, blind uh, wines from uh, all over the world, and uh, we need to make comments about them. Variety, origin, winemaking, style, quality, age, and so on. The exam, the Master of Wine Examination, uh, its length is uh, four days. Once uh, the exam, both part of the exam, the theory and the practical 
our past, then there's a research paper. And after that research paper, you become a master of wine. So I tried to make it simple, but more or less, these are the, uh, the steps. Sounds awesome. So I have a question that a lot of people listening to this could be somebody who's either just starting to get into wine or somebody who, you know, has been, you know, educating themselves over a number of years. What would you say as to somebody who is not a wine professional, but someone who just really enjoys wine or wants to learn more? What would you say would be the best place for them to increase their education to get the most enjoyment out of wine? Or another question would be, what would be one of the top two or three things that you would want somebody who's just starting to uh, learn more about wine? What should they know? Well, I think uh, the best thing to do, and I have not done it personally, and I think that was, uh, I wasn't aware of that. That's the WSCT. So uh, WSCT is, um, uh, again, from what I've heard, because I've not done it, it's a great preparation for professional life, but also for the uh, for amateurs in wine that are simply interested in getting involved more and more in the, in, in the wine as a habit. So uh, WSET is one thing I would recommend uh, strongly, and there are four different uh, levels of um, WSET, and then the fourth is the diploma, which is pretty uh, demanding. But uh, WSET, and then the second thing is, I would say, uh, of course, just uh, read a lot online, go to tasting, and uh, increase your, uh, your knowledge and explore more and more. And the third thing I would say is to have a sort of a guide or a mentor that will show you the way, that will expose you to new varieties that you're not familiar with, uh, origins, wine styles, and so on. A, a good, knowledgeable taster uh, with whom, A, you can just, taste and learn and, and follow recommendations and be in a later phase, maybe even do some blind tastings and blind, te blind testings are um, to me, it's a, it's a mind blower because it's um, uh, one of the most interesting, uh, sophisticated, uh, complicated uh, task, I think, because the psychology is uh, is uh, really involved uh, deeply. Meaning, for example, if you let someone taste uh, a wine out of a reasoning shape bottle, and they know the but they see the bottle, but it's blind, it's wrapped, but they see the shape of the bottle, the chances that uh, they're not that they're gonna say it's not coming from Alsace or from the Rhine or whatever are, are, are small. And I've done that uh, test a few times with friends or with, uh, or with students I was teaching. So uh, uh, there's a lot of psychology of psychology involved in that. And uh, it's a really interesting uh, journey that one can uh, go through um, for pleasure or even for uh, other purposes, meaning for, for just to, be, to become more involved in the wine business. As a winemaker, how involved are you personally in like the development of the physical packaging, say the label, the bottle, uh, is that something that you focus on just what's inside? Or when you have a vision for a wine, do you also keep in mind like what it's gonna, the final product is gonna look like? 
No, uh, personally, myself, and it really depends on the winemaker. I am very involved, very much involved in the packaging and the marketing and the branding because just like, uh, you know, a chef would not like you to eat uh, out of a plate that does not look good. And the plating, the, 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 uh, the way you, um, uh, you, you show the, 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 the dish to the, uh, you expose the dish to the, uh, to the consumer is very important. It's the same thing about wine. So the packaging has to be appropriate. It has to uh, represent and reflect what's inside the bottle. So me personally, I'm very much involved in that. And uh, my journey, my studies, my traveling for the wine, uh, for the Master of Wine, and, and also before that also just for me to get to be more familiar with wine regions just out of my own curiosity, that helped me a lot in uh, characterizing the different styles and the different types and different qualities of wine. And I think uh, answering your question, that has to be reflected inside and outside. And so um, talking about the whole, uh, this process, what do you look for when you craft a particular wine? What, what are, let's say, the top three things that you look for in order to make the wine that you're, that, that you're, uh, that you're envisioning? Like, what do you take care of? Like, what are your three main important parts in crafting your wines? Well, you know, uh, of course, the, the first thing is the quality. Uh, the wine has to be good. It has to be tasty. It has to give pleasure to those who consume it. Then the second thing is the, uh, the, 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 the value for money, meaning that wine has to be, uh, especially when working for, for, um, for uh, big scale wineries, um, it has to be a good value for money. That's our advantage as, as a big winery, as a big producer. And uh, third is the style. So if I have to rate those three things, it will be quality, value for money and style combining those together you got your your the wine that you uh, are drinking hopefully drinking um uh, happily when you talk about value for money what are the biggest factors that go into the cost of making a wine well there's there's the raw material meaning there's the grapes and there's the packaging and then there's everything involved in the marketing branding and so on and the and the and the fixed cost of um of the production and the, the, the factory, in this case, the winery. Um, in, uh, in premium wines, of course, the, the, the grapes are an important part of the, uh, of the equation. And the uh, most, most expensive equipment is used and the uh, most expensive barrels and packaging and corks and so on. One of the main things that we've been uh, actively talking about and, you know, what, what's uh, going on all, all over the world with the whole COVID situation, I know that it's, uh, you know, pretty um, big factor that's been uh, harming sometimes, uh, you know, the winemaking and the harvest and the, the production and all the different logistics. How has COVID really affected Barkhan Winery and the whole aspect of the of the of everything basically like how how have you seen the effect of covid on the winery well we have we have been very um concerned with that we work 24 hours a day now in uh in the reception of the grapes in the harvest and we work as capsules so we have different teams doing different jobs uh we are very much concerned with that and so far um uh, thankfully, uh, we've been fine, but uh, the, 
we will be harvesting up till uh, about uh, the holidays, I mean, until Kippur, more or less. So there's more to come. And uh, we are still concerned. But um, other than that, uh, and of course, the special preparations in terms of, of, of manpower and um, uh, organizations into capsules, other than that, we have not been... Uh, uh, affected, and I would actually say that the time we spent at home, working out, uh, working from home, uh, have helped us getting ready for this harvest even more because we were focused on 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 this harvest. It was very um, frightening because of uh, of uh, COVID. By the way, now it's frightening because we have uh, some I don't know 10 days of 40 degrees. Celsius. I'm not sure in Fahrenheit how much it is, but it's 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 boiling. Mm. Uh, we have very bad weather in Israel now. We had uh, an amazing August, and we have uh, um, a terrifying uh, September. Uh, so this is more worrying at the moment. Um, so I would say that uh, COVID has not affected us so far, and I'm hoping it will stay so until the end of the harvest. And another thing is that after the harvest. People tend to forget that, but after the harvest, it doesn't stop because for about one month, we will be doing massive blends. There's a lot of work, a lot of press. So you press those grapes that have, have arrived a week or two weeks before. So the so October, during the holidays, it's it's pretty Sukkot and so on. It's pretty demanding as well. So if we'll, we'll get through August, we'll get through October and uh, everything will be fine COVID-19 wise. And, and then I'm very happy and I would say even very lucky. Very cool. Awesome. It's a shame that you can't uh, work from home during those uh, hot days in the summer. When we well, get to the harvesting. Getting ready for the scenario that I would have to get I don't know, 100, 200, 300 samples of wine a day delivered to my house so I can taste those wines while them, they are fermenting and, and tell the seller master what to do. So this, this could have been a nightmare logistically uh, if I personally would be um, uh, uh, isolated or, or I don't know, even if I had covid so so we are we are worried about uh about uh, that uh, among other words wow so it sounds like you guys have done pretty well though throughout the whole situation so thank god if you had to recommend one just one wine one barkhan wine to somebody who's never had barkhan for the first time what wine would you recommend i think the classic series the classic labels this is i i believe our advantage that we can make very decent wines i would even say tasty wines that are not expensive and i would recommend trying uh trying those and uh if i'm limited to just one one bottle i, I would i would tell them to try one of the of the classic and then for cigar well, for Segal, there's, uh, I think the most interesting now, and it's, I'm not sure it's in the States yet, but it's going to get there soon if it's not already. It's the old cluster, Segal old cluster. Um, we have made Pinot, Pinot Noir, and uh, Syrah old cluster. Um, this is my own favorite because it's a, it's a unique technique. Uh, borrowed from uh, from the northern Rhone and from uh, Burgundy, uh, in which we do not distem, 
we place the grapes gently into the tank and uh, and uh, we keep them there for uh, for about two weeks um, so uh, it's a, it's a very fine spicy floral soft tanning technique that I personally I adopted many years ago and I love I love it and so these wines uh, if they're not available yet they will soon be available in the in the US the Segal all cluster and I recommend trying those okay that sounds awesome uh, a question that I know I've had before and I think a lot other a lot of other people who drink kosher wine might have is the relationship between Barkhan and Segal. Uh, I know you're the head winemaker of both. They're both under the same same company, two different brands. But maybe if you could explain and how you know what the difference is between each and how they both relate to each other. Uh, well, this is this is a good good question. Um, first of all, history is that Barkhan bought uh, Segal years ago, so there were two wineries, completely different. And for logistically uh, reasons, we, of course, we united forces and, uh, and it helps uh, reduce our production cost and uh, help us managing better those two brands. But those are two different brands with two different histories, uh, different uh, vineyards and different techniques often. Um, I would say there are two main differences between Balkan and Segal. Segal is much smaller. Segal, we would like to think of Segal as a, as a sort of our boutique, so boutique brand. So Segal is much, much smaller than, the, than Balkan. And the second thing is that Balkan is more international. It would be like uh, drinking or um, like tasting a, a, a Cabernet from Napa. That would be uh, something that will be more style-wise would be more appropriate to be making in, uh, in, um, in Balkan, this, this sort of wines, this sort of style that is more international, more familiar for the local, for the US consumers, for example. Uh, Balkan is more international in style. And uh, Segal is all about minimal intervention. And uh, what we've done in the last years, I, I, I arrived to Balkan and Segal four years ago, and uh, as a head winemaker, and I am uh, under my, uh, during this time uh, as a, as a head winemaker, I'm, I'm in charge for both. And before that, there were different teams for the two brands. So I had to do a lot of thinking with myself alone and with the marketing thing, uh, team about how to keep those two uh, identities uh, separate. And actually, I think we've even increased the diversity. So Segal is about minimal intervention. What started many years ago with the Cabernet unfiltered, with the Cabernet Sauvignon unfiltered, which is an uh, iconic Segal wine, started um, roughly 20 years ago, have uh, continued uh, in the last years with the free run, wild ferment, and all cluster. And the common um, parameter uh, that uh, is uh, involved in all those four labels uh, composing Segal is that it's about all about minimal intervention. So in the uh, Segal Cabernet Sauvignon unfiltered, you don't filter the wine. The winemaker does not filter the wine. And uh, we want 
you guys to taste it and see the difference in quality and style. So the inter the the, the um, uh, filtration of the wine is uh, is not involved in this process. So we take out one process out of the common or ordinary uh, standard winemaking procedure. In the old cluster that I talked about earlier, we do not uh, distem and we do not uh, crush the grapes. In the wild ferment, we do not add uh, uh, cultivated uh, yeast. And in the free one, we do not press. I mean, we do press, but we use the free one, free run juice for the, top, for the better quality. It's like the uh, filet of, of, of the tank of, the, of, the, of that wine. It's the best part. In those four different labels composing Segal, those are all about minimal intervention. And this is another... Uh, important, very important parameter that set Segal and Balkan apart. Of course, um, uh, also the, the vineyards are different, as I mentioned earlier. I, I hope that answered the, que the question because this is this is this is an important uh, thing because uh, many consumers, while well, many consumers do not are not aware of the fact that that it's owned by the same company. Um, I think we are able to keep those two identities separate and even set them apart even 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 more. Yeah, for sure. I, I know you know we're we're almost out of time, but I um, you know one question that I want to ask you is I know each harvest is different. I know the 13, 16, and 18 vintages were very strong in Israel. Um, what do you think now with the 20 with this year's vintage? Um, how does the harvest look in your opinion? Are you optimistic about the results? Um, is this going to be something that is going to, you know, be different than, you know, previous years? And if there's any particular wine you're excited about for this vintage? I'm very, very happy about August, meaning half of the harvest was uh, perfect, perfect condition. And we have a, a beautiful, lovely winter, uh, second straight winter uh, with uh, more than 30% uh, precipitation. Uh, above average, so we were very lucky uh, in the two uh, pre in the in, in the winter and the previous winter. So uh, I'm very happy with August, and and August is the in August we had uh, the premium wines of Jerusalem harvested most of them. So I'm very happy with the Jerusalem, the the Judean Hills area. Um, the last 10 years have been very bad uh, temperature-wise, and we, are, we don't know exactly what's going to be the impact. Um, the top wines from the, from the Galilee, I'm not sure they're being affected that much, but they're not here yet. So the, the, the Galilee vineyards will be harvested in a week or two, and then I will have better knowledge about this vintage. But so far, the first half of the, of the harvest has been... Very, very good, reminding me of, uh, as you said, 18 was really nice. 11 was amazing. It was the coolest year in the last uh, 15 or 20 years, I, uh, I think. Uh, surely in the last decade, 11 was the best, uh, the best vintage. And I can tell you that the first part looks very, very promising. And we have to wait about the second part, which is September and grapes coming from the from the north from the Galilee. Thanks for joining us, Ido. It was awesome talking with you, learning a bit about your story, learning about Barkhan, Segal, and we're excited to stay in touch with you as the harvest continues. And uh, Mazel Tov again on becoming a master of wine. I was a bit in a rush because I have to go and make some uh, good wines for you guys. So, uh, <laughs> 
Hopefully, uh, next time we come to Israel, we'll have some wine together. Uh, please, you you are very uh, very much invited and welcome here. And uh, I wish you uh, all the best and uh, and the good harvest in the states. I'm not up to date about uh, 2020 in the state. Hopefully, it's a good harvest for you, just uh, just as well. Thank you, Ido. All the best. again. Thank you, Ido. Thank you. Take care. There you have it. That was the first episode of the Kosher Wine Explorer podcast. That was a great interview with Ido Levinson. I definitely learned a lot myself. I hope you did as well. The course that he was talking about, the WSET, it's something that I've personally been wanting to take for a while. It's been on my radar. I think it's a really great option for somebody who knows very little about wine and wants to broaden their education or somebody like myself who has a few years of education but really wanted to take it to the next level. So I think I'm going to go ahead and sign up later today, actually. And if you want to see something specific on this podcast or a specific guest, you can actually email me at podcast at kosherwine.com. I'll get every email and I'll make sure to include that in future episodes. And last, just make sure to hit subscribe right now so you can be the first to learn about every future episode. Thanks and talk to you again soon.